How many voices is that, Brian? A hundred about 120 voices. Woo! That's great. That's looking forward to that tonight. I hope you'll be back. Let's pray together. Father, we have so much to be grateful for all year long. Lord, as we begin this Christmas season, we are especially grateful for the birth of of your son Jesus because of what it meant for us because it meant you stepped out of heaven to come to earth you lived a perfect life then you hung on the cross and shed your blood you took on our sin you paid for it and you were buried and you were resurrected and now you have ascended to be with the father's right hand making intercession for us you fill us with your holy spirit you give us a full and abundant and meaningful life. You give us the fellowship of the believers. And Lord, just thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what we've already experienced here today. We know you're here with us. We feel your presence. And we just pray, God, that you would use your word now to speak to us at this moment in time. Father, we pray that Jesus be exalted. Lord, we pray that the believers be encouraged. Pray, Lord, that the lost would be saved. All for the glory of God and to Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, if you'll open your Bibles back to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, remember we're still talking about this in the series Overcomer. And uh, I want to just refresh your memory about the outline we're following there in this world that we're living in. We need to remember some things, we need to resolve some things, we need to respond in some ways. And right now we're still talking about resolving and and we're talking about uh, how we ought to pray. And we're looking at the prayer life of, or the prayer of Jesus in John 17. How and what do we pray for? And uh, Jesus had this prayer time. I believe he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe this is after the Last Supper. Uh, I think chapter 14, 15, and 16 that we've been looking at uh, took place in the upper room while Jesus was instructing his disciples about his departure and about how things were going to be in this world after he left. And he nailed it, of course. He's God. He knew exactly what it was going to be. It gives us some encouragement, some instruction. Uh, but now in John 17, he's actually praying. He's talking to God, and he's asking God to do for uh, his people, his followers, what only God can do. And we've looked at how Jesus prayed that, that he would be glorified in our lives in verse 10, we looked at how Jesus prayed that we would be unified as believers. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus prayed that we would experience the joy of our salvation in Christ. But now we come to chapter 17 of John, verse 15. And Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So now Jesus is asking the Father to protect his people, his followers, from the evil one. Now, who is the evil one? He is the devil. He is Satan. Now, you may think this is odd to preach at at Christmas time as we're surrounded by these beautiful poinsettias and the Christmas wreaths and the Christmas tree and, and the decorations we've seen. And by the way, give a hand to our decorating ladies who work so hard to make our sanctuary look so beautiful. You may think it's odd that we talk about the devil at Christmas time, but um, how many of you know and understand that the devil is just as active at Christmas time as any other time throughout the year? And the devil doesn't take Christmas vacation. 
In fact, many don't really believe that it even exists. And when I say many, I mean even born-again believers or those who claim to be born-again in his book, which provides statistical analysis of religious beliefs in America, George Barna asked people to respond to this statement. The devil, or Satan, is not a living being, but is just a symbol of evil. Among born-again believers, 48%, almost half, agreed that Satan is only a symbol, or they did not know who he was. That's almost half of those who claim to be Christians don't believe the devil's real or don't really know. And you think and you wonder why he may be wreaking such havoc in our world? The Bible tells us we need to be sober, that is, alert. We need to be vigilant against our adversary. So why should we consider this topic at Christmas time? Well, let's look at the first Christmas, and let's see how active the devil was at the first Christmas in Matthew chapter 1, or chapter 2. I think we see some evidence that the devil was pretty active at the first Christmas. We're not going to read the whole passage, but I do want to call your attention to chapter 2, the whole chapter. You know the story, as the wise men from the east came, and it says in verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. There's the devil's pawn right there. Wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. It was a prophecy, and I'm going to skip a few verses here. And it says, he called, in verse 7, the wise men, and he determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, Bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. Did, the, did Herod want to worship Jesus? What did Herod want to do? He wanted to kill him. So who do you think was behind that? You think it was Herod or you think that it was the devil? It was obviously he was in, being influenced by the devil. And in fact, in verse 12, it says that the wise men were divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. So they departed to their own country a different way. And then we keep reading and sees and Herod comes to the understanding or the realization that the wise men had deceived him. And so he sent out a message in verse 16. When he saw the wise men had deceived him, he became exceedingly angry. He sent uh, forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he determined from the wise men. So this is a demon, devil, Satan-motivated man who's trying to influence and stop and hinder not the birth, but the Messiah and what God wanted to accomplish through Jesus Christ. We can see the devil was active at the first Christmas. But we can trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. This is where... The fall of man occurred because Satan tempted Adam and Eve. And uh, here's what God told the devil. He said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. 
In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. I'm sorry, he's, let me back up. I'm, I'm reading too far ahead. Look at verse 15. And I will put, God says to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the devil. And between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophecy. The first prophecy in scripture about the coming Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. God speaks to the devil says, because you've done this. He said, I want you to know something that I've planned and already had this taken care of. From this woman is going to come a child who is going to crush your head, who's going to crush your power. You may bruise his heel, you may hurt him, but he's going to crush you. Now, I believe that uh, from that moment forward, the devil determined to keep that prophecy from being fulfilled. In fact, we find in Isaiah chapter 14... Verses 12 through 15, we learn that Lucifer was an angel in heaven. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I also will sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High God. How many times has he said I? He's kind of narcissistic, isn't he? He's full of himself. And God said, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And so we find in Isaiah that God, that Satan or Lucifer sought to ascend to be like God, to assume the throne. But God will not share his throne. But somehow Lucifer, the highest archangel, must have gotten in his mind that he, if he couldn't assume the throne of Almighty God, then he could usurp the Son of God's position. Between, uh, but even that was not to be. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said. Again, these, these are scriptures he's taking right out of the Old Testament. He asked the question, or he says that Jesus Christ has become so much better than the angels. That is any angel, even the highest archangel, even Lucifer. He says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is only to Jesus did God say that, not to any angel. And again, I will be to him as father and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, that is when God the Father brings Jesus Christ into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. The devil determined, I will not worship Jesus. I will usurp his authority and his dominion that God intends to give him. So the devil knows he can't rule in heaven, but maybe he could rule on earth. Instead of Jesus ruling, maybe he could assume that position. And I believe the devil aimed at keeping this pronouncement in Genesis 3 from coming to pass. We see it throughout the scripture. He, it was, he tempted men. And if you read in Genesis 6.1, it says that, that uh, the sin of mankind at that time was terrible. And all that they thought about was evil only continuously. Sounds a lot like our day. And it provoked God into flooding the earth and destroying the earth. 
And so Satan was trying to provoke God through the temptation of man and man falling into sin to destroy man. And he almost did, but God had an answer. And it was called an ark. And a man named Noah built that ark. And Jesus actually has been called the ark of deliverance. It was that ark that saved mankind. Even in, when, when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he was promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a son from Sarah. And he's going to be the, you and he and Jacob, y'all are going to be the beginning line of this great people through which I will bring my son. Well, the devil even tried to get in that. He introduced a woman named Hagar. Well, if I can introduce this woman and tempt uh, Abraham and Sarah to try to do things their own way and, and uh, give birth to another child, then I can thwart this plan of God through Isaac. And, of course, Ishmael was born. And even Abraham said, Lord, will you not fulfill the promise to me through Ishmael? And God said, no, you're still going to have a son. God's answer was Isaac. I believe... Uh, also, the devil kept on going as even the nation of Israel began to grow. He tried to crush the Jews by bringing them into Egypt because of famine in the land. And, and of course, God already answered that problem with Joseph. And he raised up Joseph to be a ruler in the land of Egypt. And he provided for those 70 souls that had to flee Canaan. All 70 Jews. That's how many there were. Only 70. But then they came to Egypt and they began to grow and prosper. But Egypt, uh, the Pharaoh began to get concerned that they were getting so numerous and he oppressed them and he put them in slavery and he beat them. And God and Satan's thinking, I can crush them here in Egypt. I can use my ruler, Pharaoh, a pagan, a person who thinks he's God, Ra. Pharaoh thought he was God and I can crush them. God's answer, Moses. And then he gets them out into the wilderness and, and he tempts them to, with all the, the nice things that they had in Egypt, he begins to tempt them and, and they begin griping and complaining about all they get to eat is manna and they never have enough to eat, they never have enough to drink and, and uh, he provokes God to destroy them. And Moses again intercedes on behalf of them and God spares them even in the midst of their idolatry and immorality. Again, I believe he tries to crush the Jews through the destruction of Jerusalem and exile into Babylon. But God raised up a man named Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, it was Nebuchadnezzar that destroyed Jerusalem, and it was at God's hand, but he called him my servant. God raised up a man named Cyrus that allowed them to go back to, to Jerusalem, go back to Israel and rebuild the temple, rebuild the city walls. During that time of captivity, God raised up a woman because an evil man named Haman devised this plot to crush the Jews. And Esther, God had put her in a position to be the queen of a pagan king. And she was a Jew. And she interceded and intervened and it spared the Jews from annihilation because Haman had invented this plot and had the kings to sign it to all Jews to be annihilated from the face of the earth. But one woman intervened. God's answer was Esther. And now we have here in this story of Matthew 1, Matthew chapter 2, where Satan is trying to kill, all, trying to kill Jesus by killing all the baby boys. Ever since that edict in Genesis 3, the devil's been trying to crush and to stop Jesus from entering the scene. Has he been successful? 
No. We all know that the devil was unsuccessful. Jesus came. Jesus was born. And Christmas is celebrated all over the world because the evil one's attempt at stopping him failed. So you see, when we look at Christmas, we're looking at more than just the birth of a baby. We're looking at the victory of God. That God, Satan could not stop God. And, better yet, he was overwhelmed by God's redeeming plan. So in a very real way, when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating Jesus' victory over Satan. The devil couldn't stop him. But Jesus has come, Jesus has been crucified, he's been resurrected, he's ascended back to the Father, and he's promised to return again and establish his kingdom on earth. There's, there, you know there are more biblical prophecies about his second coming there are, than are, there are about his first coming that we celebrate at Christmas. And if the devil fought so hard to keep him from coming the first time, is it possible that he may be fighting even harder to keep him from coming back? I certainly think so, and that's what I believe Jesus is praying about here. Lord, if he fought so hard to keep me from coming the first time, I know he's going to do the same thing in the same way to my people to keep me from coming back the second time. So I pray, protect them from him. I know who he is. I pray that you'd protect them. What are some of the ways the devil's trying to keep Jesus from coming back. Well, I believe it's some of the th- same ways he's tried before. That his, his strategy is the same. You know, the devil's not very creative. In fact, he's insane. What's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and again, expecting a different result. Well, that's the devil. He's not very creative. Uh, he's, he's using the same tactics He's attacking God's people. He raised up a man back in the 30s named Hitler. And Hitler was popular. And he gained popularity. And he got voted in. And then, of course, I believe the devil entered him just like he did Judas. And his motivation was to do what? Crush the Jews. He wanted to do everything in his power to crush the Jews. I think Hitler was a modern-day Haman. Haman from the book of Esther. And uh, God raised up a nation. God's answer to Hitler was America. You know, if, if America had no other purpose, we stepped in in that war at a critical point to stop an insane man possessed by the devil from crushing the Jews. And if I believe that's one of the reasons we're still under the blessing of God that we are. is because we intervened. We were the Esther. We were raised up for such a time as that. And I believe, my friends, if this nation ever departs from Israel, God's hand will depart from this nation. Because we are participating and have been participating in the protection of the Son of God and His name from that moment. The Bible says that the devil is got a short time. I want you to turn or look at Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, we read something interesting. Of course, this is an 
interesting book, and I hope you'll read it, not avoid it. Even though you think you can't understand it, you receive a blessing from reading it, and the Holy Spirit will give you the, what you need, and there are plenty of study helps to help you. But listen, listen to Revelation 12. Look at verse 9. So the great dragon, there's, that's the devil, he was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth! And the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And without trying to give you all the details of that passage, let me just say that what we see in this passage is that the devil is still making war against the rest of her offspring. Her, speaking here of uh, not just Mary, but the nation of Israel, but he's speaking specifically of Jesus Christ. He is battling against the rest of her offspring. Since the devil could not destroy the seed from Genesis 3, remember? This seed of this woman will crush your head. You'll bruise his heel, but the seed's going to crush your head. He's been trying to stop the seed from coming into the world. Well, since he couldn't stop the seed, now he's trying to crush the offspring. And who is that? Well, I believe it's the followers of the seed. Who's the seed? Jesus. Who's the followers of the seed? We are. We're the offspring. We're the Christians. He knows he only has a short time. Therefore, the intensity and the frequency of the devil's attacks are increasing, and he doesn't stop just because it's Christmas time. He didn't stop at Christmas, the first one. He's not going to stop any Christmas. We want peace on earth, but there will not be peace on earth till the Prince of Peace reigns on the earth. And he knows that. It's interesting, in this passage I just read for you, there are five names mentioned of the devil. I'm going to just remind you of them. The great dragon. Speaks of his role as devourer. The serpent of old. Speaks of his role in the Garden of Eden as the deceiver. The devil. Speaks of God's arch enemy. Opposes everything about God. Satan. Term means Adversary. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says, Our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then he's called the accuser of the brethren. I like to say he's your prosecuting attorney. He's pointing out to God everything you've done wrong and why you deserve to go to hell. But Jesus prayed for us. 
In John 17, 15, Jesus prayed for us. You say, he wasn't praying for us. He was praying for his disciples at that time. Well, I beg to differ because notice what he says in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for me. He's praying for you to be kept from the evil one. The first part of this verse of John 17, 15, he says, I don't pray that you should take them out of the world. Now, why would he start that? prayer like that because I believe as he said earlier in this conversation in John chapter 14 he referred to the devil as the ruler of this world and the only way to be totally protected from the devil would be for you to be taken out of the world and gone to heaven but he says Lord I'm not asking you to take them out of the world and to remove them completely from all the influence of the devil then they'd have to be in heaven I just pray that you protect them from him. Protect them. So in answer to Jesus' prayer, God's word gives us at least five ways we can overcome the evil one. I'm going to review them for you quickly. First of all, 1 John 5, 4. 1 John 4, 4 says this. The Bible says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you, finish it for me, is greater than he who's in the world. Who is he who is in the world? That's who? That's the Satan. That's the devil. But greater is he who's in me. Who's in me? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're saved, who's in you? Jesus Christ is in you. And greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And you've overcome him. How did you overcome the devil? Not on your own, but by him who's in you. So you just remind the devil of that. Hey, You're a defeated foe. You've been overcome. I've overcome you because Christ is in me. Also, he says in 1 John 5, 4, he said, Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Our faith in Christ. Our faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. We sing that song that overcomes the world. Our faith in Jesus Christ. That what he did on the cross, when he died, when he was buried, when he was resurrected, that gave us victory over the devil. Christ won that victory for us. I believe that. My faith in Christ gives me victory over the evil one. Notice back in Revelation 12, we were there a minute ago. Look what the scripture says there in verse 11. He says, and they overcame him. Remember how many, verse 10, all those names of the devil, the the accuser, the serpent, the dragon, the devil, the deceiver. And it says in verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. We overcome him by the blood of Christ. There's something the devil can't stand. It's the name of Christ and it's the blood of Christ. He can't stand the word of God either. My friends, when you start claiming the name of Jesus and the blood of Christ and using Scripture, the devil must flee. The Bible says resist him and he will flee. How do you resist him when the temptation is so strong? How do you resist him? You resist him calling on the name of Jesus Christ. You call And you have to do it out loud. The devil's not a mind reader. He's not omniscient. Don't give him more power than he's due. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He ain't God. Only God is God. So you got to speak the name of Jesus. you got to audibly claim the blood of Jesus Christ over yourself. I plead the blood of Christ over me. I've, his blood was shed for me. I've been delivered from the power of darkness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Then you start quoting some scripture. And that's a great one to quote Colossians 1. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, I have redemption through him. Uh, through him, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. He said he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. You start quoting those scriptures, like one we're going to look at in just a moment, Colossians 2, that he disarmed Satan, took all the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, and he nailed it to the cross. He took it out of the way. When you start feeling those accusations, you just remind the devil, hey, those accusations don't exist anymore. They were taken out of the way at the cross of Calvary. And they were nailed to the cross and they were paid for. You overcome him by the blood of Christ. And the next one, I've already covered the word of your testimony. That's the word of your testimony. You you remind the devil of what Jesus has done for you and that you've placed your faith and trust in him. And then he says also in verse uh, 11, and they love not their lives to the death. They didn't love their earthly life more than they loved their eternal life. You, you, you don't fear what the devil can do to you. I understand that kind of fear because that's sometimes how the devil torments me is what he could do to me the closer I get to God. And many of you may have seen that movie um, that recently came out uh, about the lady who just kind of adopted this homeless guy. I forgot the name of it now. Same kind of different as me. I read the book a couple of years ago, and then we saw the movie. But the, the homeless guy, had a, he had been saved early in life, but he got drifted apart. But then God had just changed his life and, uh, through this lady. And this lady was just starting to be more and more obedient to the Lord and wanting to do what God had called her to do. And one of the things that this homeless guy said to her husband was, She's important to God now. And therefore, that means she's important to the devil. And that's when she got cancer. Those are the kinds of things that scare me. Because the closer I get to the Lord and the more I want to be obedient to Him, He begins to threaten me with thoughts like that. And I bet I'm not alone. And, and, and sometimes those threats work. Sometimes I succumb to that intimidation. But I have to remember that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And I don't need to fear him who can kill the body, as Matthew 10, 28 says, but rather fear him who can kill both body and soul in hell. And the Bible is full. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find these great heroes of the faith that we hold up and that I've held up all my life as men and women that I want to be like. And I can't back off and be like them at the same time. It says... They all died in the faith, not having received the promises. They proclaimed that they sought a better country, a heavenly country. It says in verse 24 that, verse 34, I'm sorry, verse 24, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, rather to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. It says, He esteemed the reproaches of Christ, the reproach of Christ, greater riches, than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He loved eternal life more than he loved his earthly life. And it says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And I look at verse 35, and I read about these women receiving their dead raised to life, but others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. 
Others had trials of mockings and scourgings, of chains and imprisonment, stoned, sawn in half, tempted, slain with the sword, wandering about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Am I going to fear the devil or am I going to serve the king? And so many Christians, half say they don't even believe he's real. The other half may live in fear. It's, it's time for us not to... Christmas ought to be a time where we, 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 we resolve we're not going to be afraid of this peon called Satan. And my friends, when you compare Satan to God, there's no comparison. We're talking about a peon compared to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty, and greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And that's what Christmas declares for us. He came because the devil couldn't stop him from coming. And the devil can't stop him from coming back. But he's going to try to attack you and me and intimidate you and me. And I want to remind you, I love this passage, and I want to remind you of it again in Romans 8. What shall we say then to these things if God be for us? Somebody finish it. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge? Who shall accuse God's elect? It is God who justifies. Hey, try that one the next time the devil beats you up with your sin, past and forgiven. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not what I have overcome the world. Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine, no. Nakedness, no. Peril, sword, no. He said in verse 37, And all these things were more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, even if I have to die for Christ, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, that's those demonic rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, that is my present or my future, which I don't know what's going to happen, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful verse of Scripture. You see, Christmas tells us that story. Jesus has overcome the evil one, and he's prayed for you and I to be protected from him, and that protection is in Christ. Writing in Moody Monthly, a certain author recounted his experience of watching a wildcat in a zoo. He says, as I stood there, an attendant entered the cage through a door on the opposite side. And all he had in his hand was a broom. And he began in one corner to sweep that cage. All the while, that wildcat is over there snarling in the corner. The attendant seemed to be unbothered. He just kept sweeping the cage. Even as he got to the opposite corner of the cage where that wildcat was, he was just sweeping. In fact, he stopped one time and poked the wildcat with the other end of the broom. The man who's writing this and observing this marveled at that. And so he said to the attendant, You certainly are a brave man. No, I ain't brave, he replied as he continued to sweep. The writer said, well, then that cat must be tame. No, he ain't tame. He said, well, if you aren't brave and that wild cat isn't tame, then I can't understand why he doesn't attack you. 
The writer said that the man chuckled, then he replied with an air of confidence, Mister, he's old, and he ain't got no teeth. I want you to remember that the next time the devil comes against you. He's called the serpent of old and he ain't got no teeth. He's all bark. He roars to intimidate you. But he can't bite because he's been defanged by the king of kings and the lord of lords who lives in you. You have power and authority over him because Christ came. And because he died, and because you gave your life to him. So Christmas is the story of Christ overcoming the evil one. And Christmas reminds us that we too, in Christ, have power over him. That he is the prince of peace. In the face of chaos, we can trust him. Let's bow together and pray.